Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Father, I thank you that, um, Lord, you long to arrest our souls. Father, you, you long to capture our imagination, not with the things of the world, not with the challenges of the world, but to capture our minds with the majesty, the truth, the beauty of who you are, the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, Father, you in perfection came in the form of your Son. You, you made yourself known to those who despised you, who hated you, Father, who, who wanted nothing to do with you and through a message of truth and grace in an unexpected way. Father, you arrested us, awakened us to the truth of who you are. And now because of that, the spirit, the spirit of life dwells within us. And so as we gather, whether online, in this room, uh, spirit, lead us to a place of abiding with Christ. Lead us to a place where, where we're so captivated by the presence of God that, that the, the thoughts of the world, the philosophies of the world, they start to fade because the voice of Abba Father is near us and he longs for us as his children just simply to come and to be with him and, and for you, Father, to minister to us. And so in this time, this morning, in this season, uh, Lord, be with us and allow our ears, our hearts, our minds to be open to you. We love you, Father. Thank you for the privilege of coming boldly before a throne of grace. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's good to see you here this morning. Uh, we miss you guys. If you're watching online, we love you. We hope you're doing well. Uh, again, I want to encourage each one of us in this season to be very intentional to reach out to others. You know, I've been thinking and evaluating a lot in this season in terms of how we as a church engage the world, how we as a church really engage one another. And here's something that I've realized. There's a sense in which we overemphasize content and we think that content is the church. I don't know if that makes sense to you. There's great content. The United States, we have the best content in the world, but not necessarily the best churches in the world. We have the best teachers. We have the best theologians, some of the best books. But when you look at Scripture, what God is really calling us to be, he's not calling us just to receive content. He's calling us to be disciples in the world, which means that we take spiritual responsibility for the people around us. We worry about the friends that we don't have. We call them, we pray for them, we read scripture together. And I think sometimes we relegate that role to those in the professional ministry, right? Because I've mastered divinity at, at this accredited institution, somehow I have something you don't. That's a lie. You have been equipped in every way to minister in this moment as much as I have. And as the church, we need to be mobilized to see ourselves in a different way, in a different light, 
to really begin to reach out to others and really to get up in the morning in such a way that you're anticipating doing that in the afternoon. You know what I mean? When, you're, when you know you got to get up and teach, you pray a little different. <laughs> At least I do. When you know you're going to meet with somebody and pray over them, you're, you're kind of thinking about it. You know what I mean? But, but sometimes I think in the world we're just we're kind of coming to God and we're having these personal quiet times and they're kind of for us. But we're not realizing that the life in Christ, the life in God is really beautiful when it's for others. And we're coming to God because we want to be filled with him so that we can go out and care for others. And I think in this season there's a lot of people who are lonely there's a lot of people who feel really isolated. And certainly if, if you're in a family, you're at home, and you've got people around you, you know, sometimes you want to be lonely because there's so much going on. But let me tell you, there's a lot of people right now that all they have is the television, they're listening on the radio, and the messages that they're receiving don't lead to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They lead to malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, they're listening to slander, and it's, 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 it, there's a war that's taking place for our soul. And I want to encourage us as the church, and we haven't done well, I, this is where I'm saying we haven't done well, we haven't done well to equip and to put the focus on the church reaching out to each other, to care for each other, to open scripture together with each other to humble ourselves before God with each other and to minister to this community. And I think this is a beautiful opportunity for, on the one hand for leaders to go, hey, we didn't get it right. Uh, but on the other hand, for us to say, you know what? That may be what this is about. This season could be about us taking this opportunity to say, God, how do you want us to do church differently? How do you want us to engage in the world differently? What does it look like? God, not what do I want, Father, what do you want? Are we as captivated by what God wants for today, for us, for this community, as we are simply for what we want for ourselves? So let's jump into this passage. We're going to be in 1 Peter. We're going to pick it up in chapter 2. And here's kind of, here's where we've gone. Here's where we've been. What Peter is showing us is that we have this this miraculous experience, he says, God in his mercy, he's given us new birth, meaning the spirit of God has come in us through faith in the gospel. We hear the word of the gospel, we hear the word of Jesus, and it makes us alive. It, it, we come alive to God. And in that, we have this new birth that leads to a new identity. We are now set apart for God. Last week we looked that we are called to be holy. And it says in Scripture, be holy because I am holy. And see, holy, uh, to be holy is, first of all, a place of identity. Because God is set apart, I am set apart. And in the world, he says, Jason, I want to set you apart as holy for me. I want your purpose in life to be to magnify my truth, my grace, and who I am in the world. We have we have this new life that leads to a new identity that results in a new lifestyle. And today I want to talk a little bit about how we develop that faith, that growth in Christ. Now last week, one of the things I shared is I kind of opened a little window into my way of thinking, at least the, some of the passages that I've been wrestling with. 
And there are four main passages, I think, that in this season are incredibly helpful. The first is the one that Jesus said was the most important. You shall love the Lord your God. And if Jesus says it's important, it's probably kind of important. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the other passages that have meant a lot to me in this season are that we have to have a, a witness with outsiders, season with salt, that we're moving out into a world that doesn't agree with us. And so we need to carry that witness well into the world. So that's the second one. And you'll see that in a lot of different places. The third is that we need to submit to the governing authorities. We need to wrestle with what that looks like. And here's the reality on some of these topics. We're not going to agree. As I look out at the church today, different pastors, different approaches. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But for us in this moment, as we look at loving God and loving others, as we look at having a witness in the world that reflects the gospel, as we look to submitting to our governing authorities, and what was the final one? Oh, yeah, uh, I lost it. I got to look at my notes. Oh, of course. Let us not stop gathering together, encouraging one another, speaking truth into each other's lives. How do we hold these truths together? Because sometimes what happens, I think, is we take one aspect of Christianity, one commandment of God, and we hold it up, and it's important, and it's truth. But in the process, we disobey about five other commands in the way that we approach things, in the things that we emphasize, things that, that certainly God cares about, but sometimes we care so much that it's okay to mistreat people because of what we're valuing or what we're pursuing. And what I want to encourage us in this time is really to say, how do we hold all these truths in tension? Because here's something that, that shocks, is true. When you look at the New Testament, when Jesus showed up, the people who are the religious leaders, folks like me, they were surprised by what Jesus taught and what Jesus emphasized. And I wonder today, if Jesus just kind of showed up, if, if I would be a little shocked by what he would emphasize and what he would point out, and I might not realize, you know, I'm not representing God the way that I need to. And so as we kind of jump into this passage, I think we need to always be walking in that tension in the world between, hey, hey am I doing this in a way that really is glorifying God, or am I just taking my pet issues and my concerns and kind of pushing them out in the world. You hear with me on that? That's kind of where I'm struggling right now. So let's jump into this passage. It's First uh, Peter chapter 2. We're going to pick it up, verses 1 through 12. First Peter chapter 2, picking it up in verse, in verse 1. So, put away all malice and all deceit. Put away hypocrisy envy, and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation, if indeed you've tasted the Lord is good. So church, as you come to him, as you come to him, the living stone, the one rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices 
acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. So you notice as Peter ends this passage, he says, watch out for those things, this is verse 11, that are waging war against your soul. If there was something in your life waging war against your health, cancer, sickness, you'd address it, wouldn't you? It's waging war. It's destroying you physically. Now, sometimes we eat bad stuff that destroys us, right? With certain things we don't pay attention to, but if your finances, if there was something in your life and you saw, you know what, every week $1,000 is disappearing. If there was something waging war against your finances, how about if something was waging war against your kids? Would you address it? Health, finance, family, how about your soul? What is waging war against our soul? And as we turn on the television or listen to messages, as we go through this life, what are the things that are destroying us spiritually to the extent that we are in a dry and weary land where there is no water? Because the world is not going to feed that. What are the things that are waging war against our soul? And then notice, you can't be, at verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. You can't have a soul that's being warred against and then yet go out in the world and live honorably. Because if you're not addressing the stuff that's waging war against your soul, you're going to wage war against the world. It's just how it works. Garbage in, you get a little garbage out. Frustration in, frustration out. Grace in, well, hopefully grace starts to come out. And so he tells us if we're going to keep our conduct honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and there's things that we believe that our, our world will say, hey, that's, that's evil. They need to see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What are the things that are waging war against your soul? And if you had to make a list right now, 
and just sit in that for a minute. What are the things right now that are waging war? And then when you look at our country, or when you look at our nation, we look at the church, what would you say are the things that are most important? Well, thankfully, Peter answers that a number of times. He answers it, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 13, he says, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is, our, is there a war against our soul? Because we're not, we're not preparing our minds. We're not alert that we have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour. And there goes my notes. Let me grab that. Not that I've looked at them, but... And then when we get to chapter 2, verse 1, notice the list that he gives us. And would, these, would any of these things be on your top, top six, top five? So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. These are the things, Peter says, are warring against our soul. The first, he says, is malice. Why don't we hear from God? Why don't we have that witness that's honorable among the Gentiles? Could it be that our heart is so wrapped up in malice? And malice is just a desire to see harm to others. And it could be that we simply see harm to those who want to harm us. And that's the way of the world, right? But Jesus says, do not return evil for evil, Rather, to return evil with good. Malice in our context today, it's, it's 24-7. Certainly as we go into an election season, malice wins the day. It's a value that is used of tribalism. These are the good, these are the bad. If you enter the world that way, you're going to have malice in your heart. Christ didn't pursue a life of tribalism. He saw the image of God in all. He pursued humanity. For God so loved the world that he died for those who were right. He died for those who had it together. No, he died for the broken, the lost, the weak. Malice is going to destroy our soul in this season if we don't have a mindset on action, if we are not sober-minded and then he goes on, he says, deceit. And now deceit is obviously telling something that which is not true, but here's the real deceit I think that we walk in. It's the deceit we're telling ourselves. It's the stuff that I'm saying is okay, Jason, it's not really a big deal, you know? It's just malice. It's just a little slander. It's not that big a deal. It's not like I'm doing the stuff these guys are doing. I'm not involved in the stuff that's going on over here. I mean, these are the real people that are messing stuff up. Do you have that storyline in your mind? When Jesus came into the world, it was not us versus them. It was how can I sacrifice to get them to God? How can I show the glory of God in such a way through truth and grace that's going to open their eyes to see and give them new birth? Deceit. You know, in 1 John, it says, you know, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And sometimes in this time, as I get frustrated, I wonder, how am I deceiving myself? How am I seeing myself, you know, as a little bit more righteous, a little bit more right? 
And again, if Jesus showed up, what would he say, Jason, you got the wrong focus here. I, I don't think you're seeing things the way that I do. Are we more concerned about being in line with where God is than simply correcting others? And he goes on and he says, hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? That's deceit towards the way I display myself. I want you to believe something that's not true. And all of that, finally, at the end of verse 1, it, it shows up in our words, slander. When you have malice, when you have deceit, when you have hypocrisy, you will say things about others. James says, when you tear down another human being, you're tearing down the image of God. And James didn't clarify which people he was talking about. As if there's groups you can tear down and there's groups you can't. Slander. Jesus said, from the heart, the mouth speaks. What are the things right now that are just waging war against your soul? Are you willing, as Jesus said, to get a little violent and cut them off? If your hand causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin, what are the things that we in this season just cannot find ourselves swimming in because it's distorting our own witness in the world? I think for each one of us, I'm sure it's a little bit different. Because here's, watch this, verse 2. Here's what God wants for us. Like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. See, here's the contrast. If you have malice, you're not going to long for the spiritual milk that God wants for you. A child, a baby, uh, and I was talking to Stephen about this this week, is there, you know, they got little uh, Mabel. You don't have to teach an infant to long for milk. It's part of its nature to have that desire. Well, you, because the Spirit is in you, you have that desire for God. And there are moments, right? You, I know we all have these moments where we're just frustrated. We're just all worldly, and it's just like, zzz, and, and everything's going to, it, it's just falling apart. And then you listen to that song, that song that I just listened to, All I Have Is Christ, one of my favorite songs. I'm so glad, Vivian, thanks for doing that. Uh, just kind of, you know, we all have our song. And you just you start to feel this, this sense of, it's almost like putting lotion on your face sometimes. You ever do that and you're like, your skin's all cracked and you put it on and you just feel refreshed. You feel alive. That's what God wants for us. The challenge is we're so much feeding on the things of the world, the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, that, that we don't realize we're designed for something more. And God has created us as those who have been born again into a living hope to long for the stuff that he longs, he wants us to have. Because this is our identity. We are those that should long for pure spiritual milk. Why? Because we are growing up into our salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as he tells us, it's kind of funny, he's growing up into salvation. See, salvation is not a past event. It's a present reality. When scripture says you were saved, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's what Jesus did on the cross. It's as if the judgment day came 2,000 years ago and, and God pronounced over those who have put their faith in Christ, not guilty. These are righteous. They're not condemned. But see, today, it's not that God is saving us from the penalty of sin. Right now, he's got to rescue us by faith from the power of sin. Sin has power. 
That's what sanctification means, to be made holy. We are made holy by faith. Not by just trying harder, but by trusting more. Trusting more in what? In that spiritual milk to give us life. What is that for you right now? On the one hand, what do you need to get rid of? But second, what do you need to bring back in? And who do you need to bring around you, maybe? Is there someone in your life that right now you miss? And maybe as simple as a Zoom phone call and just a little bit of scripture for 20 minutes might bring a little life back to that desert soul. How is God not simply calling the church to change that for you, but, but church, how can we start doing that for each other? Who are the people that we can prepare our soul for that we might go out and bring water to famished souls? Because I can guarantee you, the majority of people around us, they're walking in malice, deceit, hypocrisy, all that stuff's going on. They're just like, it's, it's, it's in them. And we have this privilege in this season through the Spirit to stop focusing on everything that's wrong and start saying, Spirit, what is right? And what do you want to do through us that is unique in this moment? And why are we alive today that we get to engage in this? God has uniquely given us this opportunity. Are you feeding your soul? If you haven't discovered there's a resource, it's called the Bible Project. If you haven't found the Bible Project, I encourage you to use that as a resource in this day. It's an online resource. They have videos. They have podcasts. What they do well, as, as a pastor and as somebody who's been to seminary, they summarize deep information into very simple and concrete ideas. And so they'll take biblical themes like justice. They'll take biblical themes like grace uh, and truth, and they'll go through Scripture and start to unpack this. But here's the thing. If you're a visual person, if you kind of grew up on comics, and that's kind of your level of study, they, it's all, it, they, they draw it. They picture it. And so you've got, there's so many resources today. Families, if you go on the Bible Project, it gives you these little devotionals you can do together that have videos for your kids, scriptures that you can jump into. There are resources out there today. The YouVersion app has resources on there, Bible studies that you can get into each day, having scripture reading that you can, you can find yourself in. Are we longing for the pure spiritual milk and fighting for those things that are going to bring life to us? Now, what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, he describes it in verse 4. How do we do that? How do we grow up in our salvation? Well, one, we've got to throw off the things that are, that are harming our soul. Two, we've got to long for the things of Christ, the things that make us alive. But here's four. And I love how it's stated this, the simple phrase, as you come to him. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. That phrase at the beginning of verse 4, as you come to him in the Greek, is literally as you are coming to him. Meaning that the Christian life is a continual process of coming to Christ. Coming daily before the one that wants to refresh your soul. It's not like a one and done thing. He's saying you need this. And notice the language he uses of describing who Jesus is, the living stone. The stone that the world says is junk. The expert builders, the craftsmen, they looked at that stone and they said, I hope you're not building your life on that. If you are, you're a fool. Because the things of God are foolishness, right? It says that. And the builders, the expert builders who build the pyramids and build the temples, they looked at Jesus and they said, it's not worth building your life on. 
And Jesus said, just as they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. And yet notice, the one that the world rejects is chosen and precious to God. And that's the same language that God applies to us. That though the world might reject us and say we're foolish, God says, you are chosen and precious in my sight. And he goes on to describe Jesus as this cornerstone. Quotes from the Old Testament saying, I lay a stone in Zion. This is verse 6, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who believes in him builds their life on him, though the world says you're foolish. Notice the language, you will not be you will be not be put to shame. Now, what is the cornerstone? And I'm not a builder, and I don't, I'm not going to pretend to be one, so I'm just going to tell you what the commentaries told me, and hopefully it's all right. But when you built a building in the past, what you would do is you take this one cornerstone, and that cornerstone would actually uh, be an image or a representation of that entire building. So if the building was shaped like, I don't know, a triangle, the cornerstone would be in the shape of a triangle. If that building was in the shape of a rectangle, it would be in the shape of a rectangle. And that first cornerstone, that, that stone you would lay down, would lay the dimensions, the lines of the entire building. And so what it's saying is that when you build your life on Jesus, he should be directing the dimension of your life. He should be directing the lines of your life. The, the lines of our life go out from Jesus out into the world. And they shape us. They direct us. They tell us what we should pursue and what we shouldn't pursue. And as we build our life on him together, notice the language he's telling us is we become, and this is in verse 5, we are like living stones are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And this is all Old Testament language, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God that when we come to the living stone and he builds us together, we are not individuals, we are the temple of God. See, in the Old Testament, to be in God's presence, you had to go and see. You had to go to Jerusalem, right? You had to travel, do a little pilgrimage. Maybe go to synagogue, but see, the presence of God wasn't released until Jesus died. The Spirit was released into the world. Now, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit but the reality is when you place your faith in Christ across the world, the body of Christ is now the temple of God. That we're not individuals, but rather we represent God's presence and we have the privilege of ushering people into his presence. But here's the problem. As the temple of God, we're shutting the doors on people that God wants to enter in. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus was saying to the religious leaders, you're shutting out the ones I want to bless. Church, if we have malice, deceit, I hope you're following me, hypocrisy and envy, we're going to be shutting out the ones God's trying to get in. All because we're feeding our soul on the wrong stuff. As we go out into the world, we go out here two things, to represent him, meaning we're ambassadors for Christ, but we're also those who are to usher others in. That could be our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are just frustrated and they feel alone and we need to be the priests, the body of Christ to, to help them in, but also those Gentiles that are walking to Jerusalem and saying, hey, what is this God of Israel about? We have the privilege of welcoming them in, but to do that, we have to be filling our soul with the stuff that makes us alive to him. 
Do you see that picture? If we're not caring for ourselves, we cannot care for others. As we come to him, meaning are you treasuring Jesus? Are you pursuing intimacy with him? And then there are there people in your life that are helping you to do that. And then second, are you pursuing Christ in such a way that you know he wants you to pursue others? As I told you, when you prepare to preach, you prepare differently. When you prepare just to get for yourself, it's kind of like, okay, I got something for me. I'm good, you know? But what he's telling us is we are prepared to preach. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you and our neighbors and our community. Are we pursuing him in such a way that we realize, hey, I want that door to be open to those God that, that God's welcoming in. And in this season, I think we have a great opportunity with our neighbors, with our community to build relationships with people who feel just as isolated and just as alone and bring something to them that brings life. So how do we grow in this grace? We've got to first identify what's in us. We've got to long for the pure spiritual milk. We've got to continually come to him. And then notice in verse five, as a holy priesthood, uh, offering spiritual sacrifices. And here's the key word I want to leave us with today. It's this word acceptable to God. Offering spiritual sacrifices. Now in Romans 12, it says that we are the living sacrifice, acceptable to God. Because what God wants is not the sacrifice of your money or just simply your time or a little bit of your devotion. He wants you. He wants all of you. He wants, and here's the thing that, that mesmerizes me. He wants your imperfections as much as your perfections. He knows we get depressed. He knows that we grieve. He knows we're sad. He wants all of that. And he wants to use that as an, that word acceptable. It always shocks me. I see that word acceptable because so often I come up here and I'm praying over the sign like, God, I'm not acceptable to do this. Why do I have the right to speak? And you know what happens is when your heart's filled with malice and deceit and all that stuff, you focus a lot on yourself. And humility, you know, is really not, it's not the opposite of like pride is, you know, we think of pride as building yourself up, but also pride is tearing yourself down. It's thinking too much of yourself. And what he wants us to do is to lose sight of ourselves and say, you know, the reason I'm using you is not because of you, it's because of me. It's because I'm in you. And you're an acceptable sacrifice. Now, you're an imperfect one. That's not, that's not a doubt. But if you're addressing your heart and casting out malice, if you're longing for the pure spiritual milk of the world, if you see yourself as a temple and a priesthood going out into the world, your best effort and your faith in God is enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. See, I think i got to get up here every Sunday and pre present the perfect sermon so that Jesus will come back, right? And sometimes we think when we're in conversations with others, we gotta, I've got to be that, you know, that perfect moment, perfect word, perfect. It's not. You just need your heart saturated in Christ. That's all you need. And God uses our imperfections as acceptable. Why? Because it's not based on you. It's based on him. And what God wants to do in the world, he wants to do through willing hearts that are simply just surrendered to him that are admitting, hey, this is what's messed up in my heart right now, that have community with others 
and we're confessing to each other and we're being honest about the stuff that's warring against our soul, listen, if you're not doing that and there's not people you're talking to, this is where the church isn't enough. That It's not enough just simply to come and get content for an hour. That's not the Christian life. Because the stakes outside the temple are, are great and he wants to move us out. Do you have people in your life where can you reconnect to that? And listen, also in the home, can we be a little more gentler towards each other and helping one another in the home to also keep Christ central? Because I imagine in this season, as, as many people have been in quarantine, and, and this isn't just in the church, right? It's, it's in every home and every household in this community. There's a lot of marital strife. There's a lot of anxious conversations that are happening and we need to show grace across the board to bring that kind of healing because God wants to send us out, but are we willing to desire the things that he wants to set before us? This is a moment of great opportunity if we're willing to examine, to come to him, remembering who we are and knowing that he makes us acceptable. And as long as our hearts are set on him, our minds are set on him, he will use our best efforts to accomplish his will. That's a good message. And that's what God wants for us as we, Bergen Park Church, move out into this world. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that, Lord, Father, I just thank you that you want us to take our eyes off ourselves, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, you are the only glory that doesn't fade away. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass, it withers, the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord, the glory of God, it never fades away. Father, what are the things right now that we are placing so much weight and glory in, but in terms of eternity, they're gonna fade. They're gonna pass. Would you take that which is eternal in us and allow us, Father, to long for the things that bring life to our souls, life to our families, life to our community, and, Father, life to a world that desperately needs the water of redemption. Guide us in these truths, we ask in Jesus' name.